to him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his blood and made us kings and priests to God the Father, to him be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Today's sermon text is the reading appointed for this day. We're back to the normal readings from Isaiah 5, a classic section where God's people are pictured as his vineyard. In Christ's name, this is a, a gorgeous picture of God's care of his vineyard, and I titled the sermon with that gospel message, God's Garden of Grace, simply for the sake of alliteration, if nothing else. But that is the message here at the start. But it changes as you read on in the text. And to get into that, I'm going to give you a quote and ask you if you know from where it comes, I think maybe the vast majority do. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. That's John Newton. In his stanza three, I think it is, of the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace. But I will tell you, you won't find that stanza in our hymnals. Lutheran theologians, and I would include this one before you here today as much as I am one. See in that one lyric, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieve." Some ambiguity at best, some things that are unclear, because if grace is used with the same definition in, in both sections of that lyric, there might even be a contradiction. Grace, strictly speaking, God's undeserved favor, won for us by Jesus Christ, shared in the pure proclamation of the gospel, the good news. That, that does our, our fears relieve, our sins forgive, actually gives us eternal life with him. Strictly speaking, if that's the grace in the first line, it does not teach our heart to fear. That's the law, right? Good Lutherans and others amongst us. It is the law that gives us that, that, that fear or at least fright of God for our deserved punishment. Now, maybe the word fear um, can be understood in a generic sense. I have no idea how John Newton intended it. And I've explained it that way when it's on Psalm 130. We always read at funerals, there is forgiveness with thee, therefore thou art feared. The fear of God brings that wonderful awe and fear of God. That he would be so gracious not to count our iniquities against us. But that fear in the second line has to be relieved. And so we've deleted or changed, I think, that, that, that stanza 
one of the two. And yet I, this week especially, have, have kind of brought together in my mind and for this sermon another way to look at it. That indeed, as I said in the introductory paragraph of today's theme, there, there is a paradox here that great grace can also bring with it a condemnation. Not in and of itself, but if that grace is spurned and rejected all the more it highlights and shows sin and its deserved damnation. Let me go through the grace of Isaiah chapter 9 here, almost line by line, and notice how much God does here. Approximately six, seven hundred years before Jesus was born, Isaiah was prophesying to a people that had, in large part, veered towards unfaithfulness, idolatry, sexual and social sins. God had been their God from the very beginning, all through the patriarchs and Moses, King David and all the kings. And he couches that in terms of his beloved vineyard. This is almost an intimate picture here. First of all, it says he dug them. And by analogy, you can see the applications in your life. We should be dust and, and to dust return. In our sin, we are buried away from God and he digs us up from our sin, finds us indeed by coming to us in human form as our Savior Jesus. And that promise was all through the Old Testament from the promise to Eve that one of her descendants would crush the devil's head. That a human being at our human level would come to us. He did that with Israel. He does it with us. And he cleared it of stones. My translation might be a little different, but not much. Removed the obstacles, the things that would get in the way of his vineyard being what it should. He does that with you too. And it may be specific sins, shortcomings in your life. The Lord is plowing. <laughs> working through things that could be obstacles so that indeed he can plant your life with the choicest of vines. Both translations use that word choice vines, the, the, the best vines. Indeed, the perfect seed of the Spirit's word is in your heart. Given through the scriptures, the sacraments, you are my child, your sins forgiven. Christ's blood covers them. You're an heir of heaven that grows in your heart. And as it does here in this vineyard and here in this one, he builds a watchtower. I understand in ancient vineyards, if not today, 
There needs to be oversight. Animals can enter the vineyard and eat the fruit. Thieves can try to break in and steal. He has provided his scriptures, the office of the public ministry, your fellow Christians to watch over you and guide you. And climactically then, he hews a wine vat. Here is where this gets almost luxurious. Grapes were produced then, especially for the production of wine. Yes, there was grape juice and grapes to eat in the fall, but soon after that, without refrigeration, what came from the vineyards was wine. Psalm 104, God makes wine. It says that there, look it up. God makes wine that gladdens man's heart. God wants you to be the gladdening of his heart. Indeed, in bliss forever with him. Next week you'll hear heaven pictured as a banquet of the best meats, the finest wines. All that God wants from you. So he comes looking for grapes. I put in parentheses good grapes because the very next line says he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded only wild grapes. The other translation said bad fruit. It's the only place in the Bible that word occurs, these two verses. We know it is in contrast to what would be good grapes, the usual word for grapes. I don't know my, my grape horticulture, but I surely would guess there are wild grapes growing up maybe everywhere that are bitter and bad and that's what happens in this vineyard amazingly God's grace is spurned and rejected by the people of Israel often so often today amongst us I pray not and, and that's where this God says, indeed, inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, people of Trinity, Lutheran Church, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? But when I look for it to yield grapes, good grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. Briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Desolation. Desertion by God. That's the definition really of damnation. At least here, Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom would be destroyed. Never to return again, really, in that way on the face of the earth. And it could happen to any who spurn God's grace. It's a poignant connection between God's gospel and good news and his law and threats. I can feel the emotion in part at least 
of God crying out, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? What more could God do for you? In all those ways we compared, he has sought you out, friend, wherever you were. He has, he has cleared obstacles and deeds through the Christ to come into your life. He is planting the seed even now and the choices of vines in your life, watching over you, ready for the produce. He wants that good fruit. there is that warning. Hebrews chapter 10 says it even more clearly without the metaphor. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of It is a warning that we need here and heed. And it would seem, that's the end of our text, God cries here that he came seeking, seeking justice, but behold, bloodshed, righteousness, and behold, an outcry. It would seem the end. It would seem. But there's more, not from me, but from our Lord. We heard Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tell his parable of the tenants in a vineyard. And it does have that message of law when they refuse to give the fruits of the vineyard to the, the owner. And they would be destroyed. But one thing is added to the picture. As the owner comes looking first with his messengers, he comes then looking for his harvest with his own What more is there that God could do for his vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5? There is one thing. One person. He did add to this story. Jesus surely had in mind this story. He uses the same vocabulary. And he shows that this story is, in terms of law, talking about him and rejection of, of, of him as the Savior. That's the ultimate spurning of the good news, rejection of Jesus Christ. In fact, at the cross, there is the ultimate proclamation of God's law. That's what happens. Damnation. But not yours. There is hope. Sure and certain hope. Jesus concluded his telling of the vineyard story. Yes, with the rejection of those in it, the, the refusal to bring forth fruit. But then he quoted Psalm 118, one of the most quoted verses of the Old Testament in the New. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or capstone. 
that though he was rejected, elsewhere in the Bible it's used to show he would rise from the dead and he would provide by his very rejection salvation for ours. Indeed, there is rejoicing. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes that somehow God would turn our rejection, indeed of his own son, into an opportunity again for reacceptance. And he does. I rediscovered again this week in Isaiah what I had seen before but forgotten. In verse 7, there are puns in Hebrew, and I'm not just sharing this to be technical and scholastic. There, there's a point God says in verse 7, well, Isaiah says, of the Lord, of God, he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. I'll share the Hebrew words there up on the screen. He looked for justice, mishpat, but behold, bloodshed, mishpat, for righteousness, zedekah, but behold, an outcry, zahakah. You don't have to remember any of that. The end result of all this would be bloodshed indeed. Cry. Pain. But for you and for me, it's not ours. In that vineyard is placing one more person. Jesus blood shed for you. Forgive me. Jesus cried, why have you forsaken me? It is finished. Canceling your sin. And in him, then, the story begins again. Jesus said in John 15, the night before he died, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but I have chosen you that you now bear fruit. The fruit, indeed, of righteousness, a right relationship in him. Justice, sharing that righteousness with all. Micah chapter 6, walking humbly with your Lord. Mercy towards others, the beautiful fruit that God wants. He produces in his vineyard by Jesus, indeed, through you.